With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, December the 30th, 2023. What just happened? I almost forgot everything. Good evening, everyone. I apologize there. It is Saturday, December the 30th, 2023. I don't know. Maybe I was going to say 2024. Maybe I was going to say 2020. Maybe I was going to say 2021. I don't know. I just like got cut off in mid-sentence. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, December the 30th, 2023. It is currently 6.51 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, don't you like when there's a problem? Something is not going right, and you immediately know the solution. See, I was trying to talk too fast because I'm in a hurry. See, I have a list of things that I want to get accomplished this evening, a list of things I want to do. Well, to do that, I'm going to have to move fast, right? I'm going to move fast. Well, when you put a live broadcast on that list, then you're like, okay, good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, December. And then next thing you know, you're talking over yourself, right? You're just messing. So all I had to do was just slow down. Problem, solution, and act the solution. Just slow down, repeat yourself. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, December the 30th, 2023. It is currently 6.52 p.m. Central Time. So you just slow down. I still may not say it correctly, but that's okay. It, it comes across much better. See, there was a problem. Then there was an easy solution. But sometimes the solution isn't so easy. Let me give you an example. Most people, I, well, I can't say most, There are a lot of people today, I would say there are many within Christianity who looks at the world today. They look at the culture, they look at the world, everything from politics to pop culture to Hollywood, you just name it. They look around and they feel there is something horribly wrong within society. They believe there is a major problem within society. They believe society is crumbling, that it's falling apart, that things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and they feel like there needs to be a solution, and that solution needs to be enacted, and it needs to be done immediately. Some within the church believe the ultimate problem is sin. And that solution is Jesus Christ. They may, po- they may state something like this. 
for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. They may see the, they may say all these other problems are just symptoms of the deeper issue. And the deeper issue is all of us are sinners. We all have a sinful nature. And what we need is redemption that is freely given in Christ Jesus. We need to put our faith in him and we need to call people to repentance and faith. We need to disciple people and we need to point people to Christ. We need to point people to the word of God. That's what we need to do. Others are like, nope, that that ship has sailed. That time has passed. We need to do something now. We need to take control. We need to act and act Christianity as the law of the land. We need to force people to obey the scriptures. We need to, well, let's, let's use some form of Christian nationalism in order to take over and make people act the way we want them to act. And that division within Christianity is sad. It's very unfortunate. And it demonstrates, even though many within the Christian nationalist world would say this is not the case, I believe it indicates a moving away and they're they're not satisfied with a more biblical spiritual approach they want a kingdom they want it on this earth they don't want to wait for Christ to come back and set it up they want to establish it and they want to make the world be conformed to the image of Christ and when they're going to do so by political takeover bills laws that that's how they they want to enforce it and i believe that that is i hope that's not christianity The world does not need Christianity forced upon them. The world needs to hear Christ preached and they need salvation, which is a work of God. But there's a problem. But what is the solution? What is the solution? Well, I think just as I stated in the introduction, sometimes everything seems to be moving so fast that we just, we just, well, we just speak over ourselves. We, we need to slow down. And I think people need to slow down and consider What is the solution you really are thinking and you're speaking? Because I think some people would say, no, 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 the problem is sin and we need Jesus. But if you listen to the way they talk, they sound like, well, that they've been so politically hijacked that there's some form of Christian nationalism that they're supporting to some level, even though they may never use that term. So I want us to slow down and I want us to consider, well, is Christian nationalism the solution that America needs. Is Christian nationalism the solution America needs? Now, here is what we're doing. Many of you know this. We've been talking about it, and I'm going to use this opportunity to talk about it again. 2024 is right there. You can see it. You can throw a rock and hit 2024 from where we are this evening, right? You can hit 2024 with a rock. Well, as we go into 2024, I am presenting everyone a very simple challenge. The challenge is, as we go into 2024, the one thing we all need is to hear the word of God preached. We need to spend time focusing on the word of God, considering scripture, considering the preaching and teaching of scripture. Because everything is going to continue to spiral out of control. Things are going to get crazy. I think we're going to just kind of just, I just think things are going to be falling apart all around us. And while we can be running around looking for all kinds of wrong solutions, 
The one thing we need to put our focus on again and again is the preaching and teaching of God's word. So to accommodate this, to help you accomplish this, I am telling everyone to do something very simple. Very simple. Go to the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store, depending on the device that you have. Download the Sermons 2.0 app. Sermons 2.0. Download the app. Once you download the app, purchase a notebook. And on your notebook, call it the Sermons 2.0 Sermon Challenge 2024. Sermons 2.0 Sermon Challenge. What you're going to do is each day, somewhere during that day, morning, afternoon, late at night, I don't care when, you're going to grab your device, you're going to open up the Sermons 2.0 app, and you're going to choose a sermon as randomly as possible. Try not to look. Don't go in looking, investigating, and skipping. Just try to choose. An easy solution is go to the Discovery tab, just pull down, and just grab the first one. Whatever the first one is, that's what you're listening to. Another thing, if you're following along, as we're going to be looking at the historical lectionary throughout 2024, you can just go to the search menu or search bar and type in the scripture for that lectionary reading for that day and just grab the first sermon, whatever it may be. Just make it random. The reason we're making it random is you get to hear different different voices, different perspectives, different theologies. This will challenge you. Keep it interesting. You won't, hopefully it will never get boring or tiring because you're going to be hearing something different every single day. Some days you're going to love the sermon. Some days you may literally hate them. And I'm also challenging you to make sure you get the most out of them. You can go listen to the broadcast I did earlier today on buffaloes and sermons because it very much explains what we're trying to do. Now, in your notebook, it's simple. Whatever the sermon is for that day, you just put like, say, number one. If you don't have a number one yet, write the name of the sermon, write the name of the church. Okay, put the date and then you listen to it. Then you write a summary, just like a one sentence summary, just basically what it was about. So that when you look back, you'll be able to tell. Now, if you're going to take notes on the sermon, which I always recommend if you can, somewhere in your notebook, you'll do sermons, uh, you'll write your sermon notes down, give that a page number, and then right next to the sermon, put the page number so you can grab your notebook and flip to that page and then see, well, the sermon notes for that particular sermon. The goal is by the end of 2024, you've got a notebook filled with sermons, and you can, you'll have a little summary statement of what each one is about. And hopefully it will also be filled with sermon notes. That's what we're trying to do. So why am I talking about Christian nationalism then? Why am I talking about is that a solution? Because am I somehow telling you, uh, instead of focusing on Christian nationalism, let's just listen to sermons. No, it's not quite that simple. The reason I'm talking about Christian nationalism is because I don't know exactly what time it was. I reached over, grabbed my iPad went to uh, the Discover tab, went to uh, Newest Sermons, and guess what the number first sermon was? The very first sermon was. The very first sermon was, is Christian nationalism the solution to America's societal decline? Is Christian nationalism the solution to America's societal decline? The broadcaster is the Christian worldview. The Christian Worldview, and it was published Saturday, December the 30th, 2023. It's only been listened to by 14 people so far. So let's get those numbers up, all right? So everyone go find it. Is Christian nationalism the solution to America's societal decline? Download it, all right? 
because we're not going to review all of it right now, but we're going to definitely review some, but I want you to go check it out. I want you to listen to it. And, uh, well, it'll be interesting. I don't know. And this one, I have not listened to everything on it. I started it, but then I decided to stop because I knew I was going to do some review. So I need, so I need to finish it as well. I need to finish it as well. So we'll do all of that. All right. We will do all of that. Hang on. I'm going to write down, I'm going to write down a timestamp here. Okay. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to listen to a little bit of it. Hopefully it'll be beneficial. And we'll see. Now, I always, uh, I have a hard time just reviewing a little bit. This is one of those, I probably wish I would have listened to more and then picked a section out specifically that I wanted to look at. But here we go. I need to listen to this today. Um, there were there were a number of sermons that I started uh, throughout the day, but this is the this was the one I I chose to be the sermon for the day. I mean, it's the first one I I I played. I could have I guess I could choose one of the others that I randomly picked, but this is the one that was there. And of course, the topic. I mean, can we have a more relevant topic as we're standing on the doorway of 2024? I mean, Christian nationalism is going to continue to be a major issue facing the church and Christianity. It's going to be an issue that Christians are going to have to see which side they're going to follow. There's going to be a division. There's going to be a split. And within Christianity, those who are kind of following this more political, Christian nationalistic approach and those who are going to stand absolutely against it. And you're going to have to choose a side, sadly. Or the side's going to be chosen for you. But here we go. Are you ready? Let's see how much we can get from this. I think it should be beneficial. But here we go. Is Christian nationalism the solution to America's societal decline? The Christian worldview is the broadcaster. Go find them. Go download it right now. Go download it right now. Okay, what are you doing? I'm looking at their numbers. It hasn't moved. Go download it, okay? I want to see that number to be a thousand before I'm done, okay? All right, I don't think that many people are currently listening, but okay. Are you ready? Here we go. Because it's a sermon you probably need to have saved in your library on the Sermons 2.0 app because um, it's going to be a topic. Now, they may go full-blown Christian nationalists here. They may go full-blown against Christian nationalism, but whichever direction they go, we're going to learn something, Remember? Just, I'm using my buffalo illustration. We're going to use every single part of this. So here we go. Is Christian nationalism the solution to America's societal decline? That is a topic we'll discuss today right here on the Christian Worldview radio program where the mission is to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm David Wheaton, the host. Christian Worldview is a nonprofit, listener-supported radio ministry. We are able to reach believers and non-believers with that mission through the radio station, website, or podcast platform on which you are listening today because of the support of listeners like you. So thank you for your prayer, encouragement, and support. You can connect with us by visiting our website, thechristianworldview.org, calling our toll-free number, one 646 or by writing to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Now, hearing their title, Is Christian Nationalism the Solution 
to America's societal decline. Now you understand my opening kind of illustration that I was trying to use, right? A solution. Well, what's the problem? America's societal decline. The solution? Well, what is it? Is it Christian nationalism or is it for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus? Is it more salvific? Is it more spiritual or is it nationalistic? Is it salvific or is it nationalistic? Is it spiritual or is it of this world? I'm going with the spiritual. I'm going with not of this world. I'm going with a spiritual kingdom and a spiritual salvation. That's what I'm going. I'm going with a gospel freely offered. That's what I'm going with. But we'll see which direction they go. As we celebrate Independence Day, which commemorates the signing in 1776 of the Declaration of Independence, when the original 13 colonies declared their autonomy from British colonial rule. John Adams was a signer of the Declaration. Okay, stop right here. First, we just caught on. This is a rebroadcast because this was airing somewhere around July 4th. All right, so that's cool. So we get a rebroadcast, but it's still very relevant going into 2024. And then he's going to start off talking about John Adams and the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and some of those founding documents. Now, before he says anything, before he reads anything, let me make this very clear. And this may be somewhat controversial. I'm a Christian. And I do not, in any way, shape, or form, take my worldview or my ideas from the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, or any other founding document. As a believer in Christ, I take them. My worldview is shaped by Scripture, and Scripture is supposed to be the authority. The Constitution, none of that is my authority. And sometimes when I hear Christians get into some kind of argument, they'll say, well, the Constitution says, and I'm always like, and when did that become inspired Scripture? When did that become inspired scripture? Now, am I saying throw out the Constitution, throw out the Declaration of Independence, throw out all of our founding documents? I'm not saying that. Those are documents founded on this country, but it's a country founded. It's a country. We are looking for a spiritual kingdom. We follow scripture first. And if scripture and the Constitution or any document, if it finds itself in conflict, we're supposed to follow scripture. At least that's what I thought. At least that's always been the impression I've been given most of my Christian life until probably 2015, 2014, where it felt like all of a sudden now the Constitution. Well, I've complained before that I think some Christians are more committed to the Constitution than they are the Word of God. So it's just interesting. He's going to start there. Let's see what he's going to quote. He was also one of the framers of the U.S. Constitution, which came out in 1789, and he was also the second president of the United States. Now, likely not a born-again Christian, but rather a deist, one who believes in a supreme being who is uninvolved in the affairs of mankind, Adams wrote the following about the link between morality and civil society. He said, Should the people of America once become capable of that deep simulation, or like pretending, toward one another, which assumes the language of justice and moderation, while it is practicing iniquity and extravagance, while it is rioting and rapping, in other words, violent seizure of property and insolence or rude behavior, 
this country will be the most miserable habitation in the world because we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Now, that's pretty interesting that these documents that there's no way to govern human passion. And so it's only designed to govern those who are moral. So the morality must precede the following of the documents. The documents don't produce the morality. The morality must exist. And then that morality then would submit to the laws and to the land and to the to the governmental officials. That's how I would understand it. Hey, the, hey, we can't govern this. We can't govern human passion. We can't control it. And I will argue that no government, no government, Republican, Democrat, or any kind can control human depravity. Human depravity cannot be controlled by human government. Human government cannot. Now, it may pr- produce laws, but people could just throw out the laws and say they're not going to obey the laws. They disagree with the laws. They believe the law is immoral. They can revolt. They can rebel. They can disobey. They can break it. Or they can submit to it. Well, what would be the reason to submit to it? Well, you would need some morality that says you should submit to it. You should follow it. There, or, or, or it just produces a set of rules and laws that are somewhat consistent with the morality of the people. Well, then it's much easier for the people to follow along. Now, we believe as Christians that people are depraved and lost and dead in their trespasses and sins. And it is the gospel which they are saved by. And by being saved, there is a repentance. There's a change of mind. And what happens in that change of mind? They change their mind about God. They change their mind about sin. They change their mind about right. And they change their mind about wrong. And they want to pursue right. Well, at the same time, they still struggle with wrong. But there's now at least a desire to pursue right. But that comes from salvation, not from the government. All right, let's see which direction they go. That from John Adams, our second president. We are seeing today John Adams' warning prove true in America. We are at a low point in our nation when laws are passed granting, quote, the freedom to kill a child anytime during the nine months of pregnancy, or when the, quote, degrading passions of homosexuality are normalized and codified as, quote, marriage, when adults parade openly and lewdly down the streets in front of children, and when children are led into the sin of cross-dressing and physical mutilation even in the name of, quote, gender-affirming care. Now, let me, let me make this very clear. It's not the laws or the government creating this. It's the people pursuing it. The laws may allow it, but the laws, even if you forbid it, it's what's going on inside the people. And let's make it very clear. You can talk about LGBTQ. You can talk about all the stuff you can. Hey, let's not forget. Okay. And again, you can look up the numbers. How many children are sexually abused and molested inside the church? They're, they're abused by some religious leader. Those numbers come out. Those stories come out day in, day out, day in, day out. You can look at the Roy's report and stories like, and they, they, they were report. This pastor is found guilty of this over and over and over. I just saw a story today of this woman who worked at McDonald's. She got upset with her coworker, called her husband. Her husband came in, went around the counter, grabbed the man by the throat and tried to push his, uh, the man's head into the deep fryer. Well, the man was a pastor of a church, I think, in North Carolina. 
Okay, so let's just make it very clear that it's not the government producing these things. These things are happening within society. Why? Because society has thrown off a biblical morality. They don't want it. Well, guess what? They're never going to want a biblical morality unless they have Christ. And then if you have Christ, you at least want the biblical morality. Oh, you're still going to disobey it. And there's going to be times you don't even want it because we still have a sinful nature. So let's make sure John Adams was saying, hey, government cannot control this. So he seems to be reading it maybe in a different way. Hey, the government is doing all of it. The government's not creating all of it. The government's recognizing society is changing. Their morality is evolving. Because guess what? You can make a law saying, hey, everyone is free to do this. If people don't want to do it, they won't do it. You can open up an adult bookstore in any city. Well, unless people want pornography, they're not going to go to it, okay? It's that simple. You can open up a strip club everywhere. If people don't want it, they won't go to it. It isn't the, uh, the idea that it's made available. It's the idea that it's being made available because people want it. It's that supply and demand kind of concept. Let's see where he's going to take this. Wicked depravity is now tolerated and affirmed in our nation, and the predictable results are division, confusion, chaos, violence, harm, and hatred. So what are Christians to do, who, like Lot living in Sodom, quote, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds? Let's not forget Lot whose righteous soul was tormented by their unrighteous deeds, was also the man who offered up his daughters to the men of the city. Oh, and he got drunk and had relations with his daughters. Let's not forget that. Let's, let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. Okay. Righteous lot wasn't always so righteous. Now, was he righteous practically or was he righteous positionally? Okay. Oh, we could get into a whole discussion about that. All right. Let, let's let's see where we're going to go here. All right. But he's clearly outlining, hey, the world's got a problem. Now, he seems to be focusing on the fact that it's governments allowing it. It's governments permitting it. It's governments recognizing it. And I'm going to argue from the other side, governments may be allowing it, recognizing it, but they're, all they're doing is acknowledging what's already in the population. The population is already, there's a large segment of the population desiring and doing these things, whether you recognize them or not. Now, you can pass a law and try to punish the immorality. You can do that. But that's not going to produce Christianity. That's not going to produce salvation. That's going to produce a hatred for those laws until enough people rise up and vote those people out so that they can impose the laws that they want that allow their behavior. Christianity cannot go after the symptom. It's got to go after the disease. The disease is human depravity. The disease is a rejection of Christ. Therefore, we must present the gospel and live out the gospel in front of people, hoping to be a decent witness so that they too will see their own sin and then, rep and then repent, change their mind, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we disciple together. We struggle to all pursue some level of righteousness. from 2 Peter chapter 2. Most Christians would say that our nation desperately needs to reclaim our biblical foundations and establish laws and policies based on the truths of Christianity. But how would that take place? 
Is that Scripture's call for Christians in the church to work to, quote, Christianize government? Today in the Christian worldview, Scott Annual. Now, this is where I'm going to come in. If you try to Christianize government, first, whose form of Christianity gets to Christianize the government? We know how this plays out in church history. If it's Catholics Christianizing the government, then Protestants are going to be persecuted. If it's Protestants, then Catholics. If it's Lutherans, then you just, you can go, so who's Christianity? And if Christianity gets to Christianize the government, well, then what about Islam? What about Satanism? Oh, no, no, no. Christians are going to make sure that we punish those religions as well. See, then it becomes a religion controlling it. But then all you have to do is get enough people of enough religion to then take you out. And then the whole thing is just chaos. And again, you don't Christianize a government. You do not Christianize a society by enforcing laws. To Christianize is for people to hear the gospel believe in the gospel, and I know this is going to sound crazy, actually become Christians. If you want to Christianize society, preach the gospel. If you want to Christianize society, evangelize. If you want to Christianize society, disciple. If you want to Christianize society, struggle together to live a life out that is trying to pursue Christ. editor-in-chief of G3 Ministries and professor of pastoral theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, joins us to discuss Christian nationalism, a term that means different things to different people. To some Christians, it means electing representatives who advocate for biblical principles in government. Other believers see Christian nationalism as a biblical mandate to work toward Christian rule over government in all institutions in society to take dominion. While non-believers view Christian nationalism as just religious extremists trying to institute a theocracy and oppress non-believers. So we hope you gain from today's discussion on Christian nationalism and what the Bible says about Christians and government. Well, Scott, we've been looking forward to having you come on the Christian Worldview radio program before we get into our topic of Christian nationalism today. Just tell us how and why you became a follower of Christ and what your life is like now. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. My parents were Christians, so I grew up very much exposed to the gospel in church at a young age. At a very young age, I made a profession of faith, but looking back, that clearly was, you know, sort of simply out of fear of hell, but also out of a desire to just please my parents. I thought it was the thing to do. So it really wasn't until my high school years that I began to recognize that I had never fully submitted myself to Christ. And just with discussions with my parents and them confronting me about sin issues, I recognized my need of salvation. I recognized that I was worthy of judgment by God, but I desired to serve him and desired to believe by faith in Christ's atoning sacrifice. So when I was 13, trusted Christ and you know, a lot internal changed. A lot externally didn't change because I was part regularly in church and a Christian school and all of that. But definitely my internal desires changed and I found a real desire to serve the Lord with the rest of my life. And that changed me and changed the trajectory of where I was headed in my high school and college years. Thank you for, for sharing your, your faith story with us. Scott Annual with us today here on The Christian Realview. He's a professor of pastoral theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary. 
Let's get into our topic today, and I title the program is Christian Nationalism, The Solution to America's Societal Decline. Now, watching the, the radical God rejection, I think is all that you can call it, of our society today has led some Christians to call for what's termed Christian nationalism. That means like... Did you hear that? The radical God rejection by society has led some Christians to call for a Christian nationalism. So because people reject God, you're now going to then try to force God upon them? If they've rejected God, they've rejected God. <laughs> like that, like you, you, oh, you, oh, you reject God? Well, oh, you just watch this. You just watch this. You, you go on home because you reject God, but we're coming for you. We're going to pass rules. We're going to pass laws. We're, you're going to be sorry you rejected. Like, what is that? What is that? No, that's not the way it should work. You pray for them. You fast for them. You love them. You serve them. You continue to try to do your best to show them what a Christian looks like and be willing to acknowledge and admit our own struggles and sins so that they can understand that we are not saved by what we do, but what Christ has done for us. Lots of different definitions to different people. We'll get into that in a second. As opposed to the kind of secular globalism or secular humanism that runs our country today. That's the ethic of our country today. And they'll say, well, secular humanism is a worldview, even a religion. Why shouldn't Christianity be represented and in, in indeed foremost in our leaders and laws? We want a Christian nation. We'd rather have that than a secular nation. I saw that there are two conferences coming up. One of them is a conference that you're associated with, G3 Ministries, because you work for that organization. And that conference is in September called The Gospel in the State, Christian Nationalism, Theonomy, and Free Church Doctrine. And then there's another conference coming up called Blueprints for Christendom 2.0, Seven Doctrines for Ruling the World. And men like Doug Wilson Brian Suave, I think his name is, Joe Boot, Joel Webin, Michael Foster, Dale Partridge. Uh, all these men are part of that conference. Now, these That scares me to death. Seven doctrines for ruling the world? That scares me to death. That, and you say, well, it doesn't scare you to death. If it was Islam, it would scare you to death. If it was Catholicism, it would scare you to death. See, if it's on your team, you're like, rule the world and make everyone do what we want. But that, no, I don't want that. I want a free society, right? Now, and, and that we're going to have people from different backgrounds and different cultures and different beliefs. Now, freedom, there's sometimes negativity because some people may use that freedom to engage and do in things that you, that offend you. They may do and engage in activities that you believe are unbiblical and ungodly. As they have the freedom to do that which you think is ungodly, you want the freedom to do that which you believe is godly. That's how freedom works. And that's one of the great things about this country. Freedom does not mean you think you agree that all moral choices are the same or equal or even right. It's that if they have the freedom to choose their path of morality, you have your freedom to choose your path of morality. And then society has to agree that there are certain levels of morality that if you cross, well, now that becomes detrimental to other people and other people are hurt. Other people are harmed by that. And so therefore, that that's where we have to draw the line. That's typically the way we would try to function. But it's really radically changing and it's, well, this nationalistic approach within some minds of Christianity is well becoming the direction. Let's see if he talks more about the, this, that approach. 
camps, so to speak, have two very different viewpoints on the role of Christianity in, in government and society. All Bible-believing Christians want government to do, as Romans 13 says, to promote good and punish evil. We all want that. But maybe you could just explain some of the big bullet point divides between these two groups of Christians. Yeah, well, I think part of the problem here is how the discussion is being framed. And it even was reflected a little bit in kind of comparing, for example, Christian nationalism on the one hand and sort of a secularist globalism on the other hand. I think part of the problem is, is that those two are not the only options. I think there are a lot of good conservative Christians who are against the secular globalism, amen, and they're also, you know, grieving over the rise of LGBTQ plus, you know, all of this stuff, the transing of kids and, and abortion and all of these horrendous things that are happening in our society. And so they sort of portray then the only solution being this Christian nationalism, which I agree with a lot of what those men want and what they emphasize the problem is that when you read or listen to the main Christian nationalists, it really is rooted in, and this other conference that you mentioned is illustrative of this, it's rooted in a post-millennial eschatology that sees the role of the church in for sure spreading the gospel, but also expects and anticipates that Christians ought to, in a sense, take over the magistrates or uh, have the magistrates enforce biblical Christianity, biblical morality. All Ten Commandments, for example, ought to be enforced by the state. So that's really where the divide lies. What is the role and purpose of government and what is the role and purpose of the church? Those of us in the pre-conference connected with GBTS and when you want government to supposedly enforce all Ten Commandments, okay, are we going to force just the external keeping of them? Because you can be guilty of the Ten Commandments and never do the acts externally. So so we're, what, what are we going to do? Punish people? Put them in jail for violating the Ten Commandments? Like, how is that going to work? Like, like that just scares me to absolute death that there are those within Christianity going in that direction. It's this takeover and force. And, and it's almost like they believe the church is going to usher in the kingdom. And I believe, no, the world, it's going to get worse and worse and worse, including the church. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Our job is to preach in season and out of season, put forth the word of God, teach, disciple, call people to faith in Jesus Christ. And then at one point, and I don't know the day and I don't know the hour, but the sky is going to rip apart and Christ is going to return on a white horse with a sword and he will kill his enemies. There's no other way to get around it and then establish a kingdom. Now, you could go with a different form of eschatology, right? You could go, well, well, we're in the millennial now, right? We're in the millennial now. And okay, well, I don't, that's, that's a bad millennial. But okay, whatever the case may be. But no, I, I, I think my job is to preach and to teach and to invite people to Christ. That's it. And, and the thing is, if you want a world that obeys the Ten Commandments, well, they need faith in Jesus Christ before they even care about the Ten Commandments, before they even recognize violating them as even a sin. You want to Christianize the world, Christianize it through preaching and teaching, prayer and fasting. 
take a much more Baptistic, historically Baptist position, and very much a non-post-millennial position that says that church and state have different roles in this age. One day in the future kingdom, when Christ is ruling and reigning, church and state will be united. Christianity, Christian morality will be enforced with a rod of iron from the throne itself. But during this present age, what some would call the age of the Gentile rulers, the state does have a role, a God-given role, as Romans 13 says, God did institute government for a particular reason, mainly, and I'll get back to this in a moment, mainly to preserve peace and order in a sin-cursed world prior to the time when the king does come. But the church as the church, as the institutional church, has a different role, and that role is to make disciples, to spread the gospel, and to disciple new believers. The problem... Now, before he goes to the problem, that's one of the reasons I'm a Baptist. That's one of the reasons I'm a Baptist. I hold to that very strong distinction between church and state. I believe strongly in that distinction. There's the state. It has its role. We have the church. We have our role. They are distinct. They are separate. And the two should remain that way. The problem is, I think sometimes, again, with this artificial binary that is presented, the argument by a lot of these Christian nationalists is the only alternative to what they are saying is a kind of secularist globalism or what they sometimes describe as Anabaptism or Pietism, where Christians just want to privatize their faith and not speak out in the public sphere, for example. And you do find Christians like that, the David Frenches and the Russell Moores of the world, who really, you know, they're conservative Christians doctrinally, but they really don't think we should speak out strongly, for instance, against homosexuality or some of these things in the public sphere. What we're trying to say is, no, there's a middle position. We absolutely believe that as Christians, we ought to be active in the public sphere. We believe nations have been created by God for a purpose. We're against globalism. We believe that we ought to vote in such a way that we're electing magistrates that will uphold morality for the good of society. We ought to stand up for life. We ought to stand against homosexuality and transgenderism. Now, see, when you say we're going to stand against homosexuality, see, this to me still sounds too much like Christian nationalism. So you want to pass laws against homosexuality? Well, let's pass laws against adultery. Oh, and all the people in your church who were married, got divorced, and got remarried, and they may be classified in an adulterous relationship, let's drag them out in handcuffs. Oh, and all the teenagers in your church engaged in premarital sex, let's drag them out. What are you going to do? You may disagree with it. I want the church to have the freedom to preach that it is a sin. But let's, well, let's not always look at their sin. Let's look at our own selves, our own dirty hands, our own, because I've got plenty of sin in me. I got plenty. I don't know about you. I got plenty. And, and all you have to do is look at news reports about all the sin happening in the church. We've got everything going on in the church. Every single day you find it. Every single day you hear about it. So whenever you say you want to pass laws to go after this morality, so you're going to, you're going to be the moral police and you're going to impose morality 
upon unregenerate hearts and tell them they have to live as a Christian. Sorry, you can't do that. Stop. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. Where does the morality line? So how many laws do you pass? Which morality do you go after? And at that point, then they just see Christianity as an imposing law. How are they going to hear the gospel when it's like, well, if I don't follow Christianity, I'm going to go to prison. Like, I don't understand what we hope to accomplish with that. I mean, there's plenty of like, you're going to go after homosexuality. We got to go after every other sexual sin. Well, you're, I'm telling you, your church is filled with it. Everything. You, you can sit there and say whatever you want. Your church is filled with pornography, whether you like it or admit it or not. Fornication, it's there. Adultery, it, whether in mind and heart and action or people who literally were married, were divorced and remarried and probably possibly meet a biblical definition as committing adultery. Yet they just sit there and nobody cares. But, 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 but we still want to point our finger at everybody else and go, look at their sin, 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 look at their sin. Well, all the major issues that have happened within the church of children being sexually abused and sexually assaulted. See, I... How do you, how do you balance this out? And all of these, we ought to be very public with our Christianity and be as active as we can be. But that doesn't mean that it is the government's role to enforce all of the Ten Commandments, for example. The government does have a role, we would say, to enforce what's sometimes called the second table of the law. That is those moral standards that involve the relations between people, because that's what God designed government to be. God designed government to maintain peace and order among people within a society in an age in which there is sin and corruption and evil. And so as Romans 13 says, God instituted that. And in as much as governing officials, even pagan governing officials, in as much as they do that, they punish wrong, you know, they punish murder as God instituted in Genesis 9. They punish sins committed one person to another. Inasmuch as they do that, they are servants of God. They're doing what God intended for them to do. But again, that's different from saying that the government ought to enforce true worship or the government ought to punish blasphemy or the government ought to enforce worship on the Lord's Day, for example. And so that's kind of where the, I think the division lies. It's in either seeing it as a binary in which you're either all in Christian nationalism or you're just a secularist globalist, whereas we're saying, no, there's a middle position where we are active, we are very public about our faith, and we believe government does have a role, but at the same time, the full enforcement by the magistrate of Christian morality will not happen until Jesus comes again. Scott Annual is our guest today here on The Christian Realview, the professor of pastoral theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, also the executive vice president and editor-in-chief of G3 Ministries. Their website is g3min.org. We also have it linked at our website, thechristianrealview.org. Now, you said a lot there, and one of the things you said early on was about how the eschatology of those pushing for Christian nationalism drives their viewpoint. As a matter of fact, in the conference that I mentioned earlier, Blueprints for Christendom 2.0, Seven Doctrines for Ruling the World, one of the speakers, Joel Webbin, 
tweeted this about promoting the conference. He put some bullet points down. It's about reform theology. It's about covenant succession. It's about biblical patriarchy. It's about presuppositional apologetics. It's about Christian nationalism. It's about theonomy. And finally, it's about post-millennialism. Now, we recognize some of those terms, reform theology, the doctrines of grace that came out of the Reformation and so forth. You've talked about the idea of Christian nationalism. Pick one or two of the other ones to help us understand uh, which of these are important to understand, covenant succession, biblical patriarchy, presuppositional apologetics, theonomy, maybe even explain a little more what post-millennialism is. I think he's just sort of describing the various aspects of his theology, several of those categories that I would fully agree with. But I think the ones that are germane to this particular issue are A, the post-millennialism, and B, the theonomy. These men argue for what they call a general equity theonomy, meaning that we take the laws of the law of Moses, and while they don't transfer over directly in our day and age— because we are not under the law of Moses. Nevertheless, we can learn general principles that can apply to our laws even today. And there's a sense in which I would agree with even that to a certain extent. But nevertheless, I would say there are limits to what the government has been appointed by God to do, and that's the key. Inasmuch as the government is doing what God has appointed it to do in maintaining peace and order between human beings and society— then I think absolutely we can look at the general equity of principles within the Mosaic law and learn from those. And similarly, the Apostle Paul even does this in the New Testament. We can look at laws in the Mosaic law. We can discern principles that apply even to the church. For instance, Paul, when he argues that pastors ought to be paid, pastors are worthy of being paid, he quotes a Mosaic law as a general equity principle there. So I don't disagree with that generally. But theonomy specifically means more than that. And again, it means that a human government ought to get to the point where we are enforcing all aspects of God's moral law, deriving principles, general equity principles from the Mosaic law. It's not necessarily directly tied to postmillennialism. And let me be clear, not all Christian nationalists are postmillennial, although I think all of the men in that particular conference are. But there are men who are, for instance, amil and perhaps even pre-mill who would consider themselves Christian nationalists. But what I've tried to demonstrate is that even for those men, I think they're being inconsistent with their eschatology. Because again, what postmillennialism will say, and there are various shades, so I'm speaking of the most conservative evangelical versions, which would be represented in that conference that you mentioned. They believe that the church's role right now is to spread the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Amen. But at the same time, they also would argue that as more and more Christians are in a society, at a certain point, those Christians ought to establish what they call Christendom. And that is the formal state affirmation that Christ is Lord over this country, and therefore we ought to enforce biblical morality in every respect. Again, all 10 of the Ten Commandments ought to. Again, what if you want Christ to be Lord over something in a practical way, you need those people to be followers of Christ. 
Now, he is Lord over all because of his sovereignty, because of his omnipotence, because of his omniscience, because of his eternal eternality, because he's eternal. But if you really want him to be Lord in a practical way, then present the gospel and people come to follow him, to call him Lord, to believe in him. But they want to do this, like on one hand, you preach that, but then you still want to establish some kind of like law, some kind of government-run run religion, which is a nightmare. And I can't believe anybody would even consider that as a good thing. The church can't even rule itself very well. ...to be enforced by the state. So even among those men, you might get some differences. I recently reviewed Doug Wilson's book, Amir Christendom. And interestingly, he, even as a post-millennial theonomist, says at this point, government ought not to punish blasphemy because we don't want to give sinful government leaders the power to enforce that because the minute that we do, they're going to blaspheme themselves and take that to an extent that we never would want them to. And so I appreciate him defending, for instance, free speech uh, in that book. But I think what he would say is that in a society, there's going to be a tipping point where there are enough Christians to where then we can begin to enforce punishment against blasphemy. And part of the problem is you try to ask these guys, okay, when is that tipping point? And they never really have a good answer. That's usually something like, well, let's just aim for that and see what happens. But again, I want to root us in the New Testament and in what the New Testament promises. And I don't see any promise in the New Testament that things are going to get better and better and better to the point where full societies and even full nations will become Christian as nations. I think what the New Testament promises is that, yes, more and more people will come to faith. More and more people will be added to the church. The gates of hell will not be able to stand against the church. But at the same time, society will wax worse and worse. And we should expect persecution and we should expect oppression even. Not that we. And I would add, and it also tells us the church is going to get worse and worse and worse. The church is going to apostatize, right? Again, in the, in, the, in the New Testament, it talks about in the last days, perilous times are going to come and men are going to be lovers of themselves. And it goes through that list. That is referencing what's going to happen inside the church. We want that and not that there are not times in which there are glimmers of light and better societies than others. There absolutely are. And we should strive for that. But at the same time, we ought not be striving for something like a Christian nation or Christendom because the New Testament does not actually prescribe that that be what we ought to be doing or that that's what government ought to be doing in this age before Jesus comes again. Scott Annual is our guest today here on the Christian Worldview radio program as we talk about is Christian nationalism the solution to America's societal decline. He is the professor of pastoral theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, also works for G3 Ministries. We'll have more with Scott after this short break. You are listening to the Christian World of Your Radio program. I'm David Wheaton. Now, we will stop there because I just wanted to, well, one, that's the sermon I chose today for our Sermons 2.0 Sermon Challenge for 2024. So I wanted to get a good start on it. That gives me a pretty good start. And so I will challenge you, take your Sermons 2.0 app, Look for 
Is Christian nationalism the solution to America's societal decline? Download it and, uh, and you know, download it. Just go ahead and download it, right? It'll just be there in your library. Whenever you want it, you can delete it at a later time. Uh, some of you uh, downloaded it because the number has gone up since we started. So thank you very much for doing that. See, I was checking on you. I was checking on you. But yes, we are definitely still going to pursue that challenge in 2024. Hopefully you will join us, download the app, the notebook. I'm not going to explain everything, but I explained it at the beginning of this. So go back and listen and you'll have the explanation. But once again, we have this major divide within Christianity that is pursuing, even those who don't like the term Christian nationalism don't even want to use the term. They are pursuing a political and earthly kingdom. They are pursuing a material, philosophical ideology of trying to solve all the problems, but they are not approaching it from a theological, biblical approach, a spiritual approach, a, a, a one that is following Christ. I think it's going a completely opposed to everything there. And it's obviously very much rooted in an eschatology of postmillennialism, at least in a large part. And I don't believe things are going to get better and better and better, and the church is going to usher in the kingdom. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse, and Christ will come back to establish the kingdom. Christ will. And he will do so by force. The church's job, if you see society going against God and against Christ, pray more, fast more, serve God more, love your enemy, turn the other cheek, preach the gospel, witness, evangelize, serve. Do That's what we're called to do. Instead of worrying about how bad the world is, maybe we should look at our own spiritual lives, our own spiritual hearts, our own sin, our own struggles, the weight, the sin, using Hebrews 12, which we did for our Bible pop quiz, if you've worked on that, uh, the weight, the sin, working on that, focusing on that. That is where I think the focus needs to be. Now, if you listen to the rest, if there's a part you want me to uh, review, then just email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. But this issue of Christian nationalism, it is not going away. It is going to remain a, I'm going to call it a thorn in the flesh. It's going to remain a cancer within the body of Christ. And it's going to be very prevalent in 2024. And I think it's only going to get worse. And I think you're going to see more and more churches become more politicized and more corrupted by this Christian nationalistic ideology. And I think it will only, my, the way of I'm playing this out in my mind, it's only going to lead to Christian persecution because Christ, non-Christians are going to feel like you're threatening them. You're, you're threatening to basically create some form of a theocracy. And they're going to be like, no, I'm not going to put up with that. And they're going to become hostile. And what I don't want them to do is to become hostile at the cross and at Christ because they're just mad because there are some trying to impose Christianity upon them. I want them to realize, no, 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 no. There's some churches here. We just invite you to Christ. We want to present the gospel to you and disciples you. We're not here to enforce you, take away your rights. We're not here to try to impose laws upon you. But they're not going to see the distinction. They're going to see anything about Jesus or the cross or the Bible. And they're going to say, I hate those people because they're trying to take away my rights and they're trying to do this and they're taking away that and they're silencing this and they want to censor this and they want to ban this and they want to take over. 
Well, then they can turn around and go, well, then we're going to take over and we'll silence Christians and we'll ban them. And then everyone's just, and then you get like basically a ideological civil war. And who wants that? This will only backfire because the world is moving away from Christianity. And if you haven't figured that out, you need to wake up. The world is not becoming more Christian. It's becoming less Christian. So your Christian nationalism is not going to work. And I think it will only drive more people away from the church. I'd love to get your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Wouldn't it be great whenever we identify a problem, there's a simple solution. I think some of the solutions the church is looking for are not simple. I don't believe they're biblical. I believe the solution is much simpler. And I believe it's outlined in the New Testament. Go, preach, and make disciples. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.